1: Today on Truth and Movies, we're passing judgments on the sci-fi action sequel Terminator Dark Fate. My name is Sarah Connor and I hunt Terminators. Matthew McConaughey is all-high, all-high, all-high in the stoner comedy The Beach Bum. I like that song, man. And in Film Club, it's long, it's dark, it's directed by James Cameron. Join us as we stare into the abyss. You mean you got liquid in your lungs? Well, coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, hello there, movie truthers. Welcome back to another episode of Truth and Movies. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, across this week from Matt Thrift. Hi. And Steph Watts. Hello.
2: Welcome back, both. How are we doing? Matt, you okay? Okay, yeah, getting over my own uh, dark fate of uh, a <laughs> few days of the lurgy, but otherwise, okay. And Steph?
3: Yeah, I'm great. I'm sailing along a boat in Florida. I'm living, living, living my life. Living the Matthew
1: McConaughey dream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about both Dark Fate and uh, The Beach Bum very shortly. We have a bit of follow-up from last week's episode here from Jeff. Hi all, long-time listeners to the pod. This email is more an observation after I listened to your recent podcast, where you reviewed Zombieland 2. Eleanor Lasic mentioned that in anticipation of reviewing the movie, she watched the first Zombieland film a few days beforehand. Then after watching number two, she said it was basically retreading the same material over again. And hence, she didn't really like it, amongst other things. Given Elena only watched the original for the first time a few days beforehand, could that have influenced her review for a film that was always likely to retread old ground, especially since it has been ten years since the original? I'm wondering if you guys have had any similar issues when researching reviews where in order to watch a follow-up or preceding film in order to write the review, where the lack of a break between the two viewings may have coloured your impression due to overload or repetition of a similar theme. And Jeff says here that... He thought the most recent Mission Impossible film, Fallout, was excellent. But if he'd just seen Rogue Nation, the previous film in the franchise, day two beforehand, he might have been a little bit, oh, here we go again. That's a very interesting uh, email there, Jeff. And quite, yeah, it gets to the heart of something, a question here that we ask ourselves. Steph, you were last on for Hobson Shaw, the oh, Fast and Furious spin off. Obviously,. You are our Fast and Furious expert in-house. Hmm. You seem to be watching Fast and Furious films all the time, but did you watch any specifically <laughs> before Hobbs and Shaw? watching.
3: Well, before Hobbs and Shaw, I actually watched all of the Fast and Furious movies to get in the zone, I mm-hmm. guess, and just kind of revisit some of the older ones and just see how they hold up. And, well, I think it did kind of colour my expectations for Hobbs and Shaw just because I think there are some genuinely good films in that franchise and mm-hmm. I think it was interesting to go back and, and watch them and revisit them. But I I don't know. I think if a film is kind of ten years old and you're doing a sequel to it, you might expect people to go and re watch the first one and not just kind of have vague memories of it and just go into a sequel.
1: And we should say that it often really depends on the quality of the sequel. And mm. many franchises encourage you go back and rewatch earlier editions in the franchise. For example, this week, the tickets went on sale for The Rise of Skywalker, the last installment in the most recent yeah, I Star I overslept.
2: I don't know how I'm going to see it oh. now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I missed that.
1: <laughs> but the tickets are on sale and... So many cinemas up and down the country and around the world are showing the two previous mm. episodes beforehand for Avengers Endgame. There were people doing their all-nighters watching every yeah. Marvel movie, and, and then the inverse is
2: also true of our, the first film we're going to talk about this week because it has the two movies that came before this one mm-hmm. wipes effectively wipes out and goes mm. back to as a sequel to the, and to the second Terminator. Mm. So they actively don't want you to watch the. Yeah. watch the other ones to colour Do you think it, that colours your
1: estimation of a film, Matt? Especially, um, Jeff also <coughs> mentions in, in his email, if we rewatched Goodfellas the day before going to see The Irishman, the new Martin Scorsese film, would that be almost uh, yeah, a good I mean, idea or a bad idea?
2: I mean, I would say with, in the case of this one, I mean, revisiting Salvation and mm-hmm. uh, Genesis, only did this film the world of favours, given, <laughs> given how bad they were and... And how low my expectations were going into this. Yeah. Well that's a we'll talk about, about that. Well that's a, a spoiler
1: alert for our <laughs> <laughs> for our review of Terminator Dark Fate, which is coming up right now. Welcome to the day after judgment day returning to their iconic roles from James Cameron's first two Terminator films Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger lead a new cast in this soft reboot of the action-packed sci-fi series which picks up over 20 years after Sarah Connor with the help of a good T800 Terminator successfully prevent the apocalyptic rise of Skynet but the future holds more potentially perilous threats
0: My name is Sarah Connor and I hunt terminators
2: Enough of a resume for you. Sarah the day has come. I'm going to help you change the future. So you're Carl.
0: That's what everyone calls me. I'm never gonna call you Carl.
3: It's the most lethal Terminator ever created.
2: Expect a big pain, brother whole body's a weapon sorry
0: that thing will keep coming we don't win this one it's
2: all over it's a lot of bangs
1: yeah so many bangs a clip from the trailer for terminator dark fate there matt tee this
2: one up for us okay so back in 2005 chris rock was uh, was hosting the Oscars. And uh, in his introductory monologue that he did at the beginning, he said that, you know, people tell me that that this is the night of a thousand stars, but it really isn't. There aren't a thousand stars sitting here tonight. There are like four stars and the the rest of you are just popular people. <laughs> and he was kind of bemoaning the fact that, you know, there weren't enough stars for the amount of movies that were being made every single week. And he earned the ire quite famously of Sean Penn by, by saying, you know, if you want Tom Cruise for your movie, but he's not available and all you can get is Jude Law. Well, then you just wait. You know, it's not the same thing. Ja Rule isn't the same as Tupac. Well, Tim Miller, director mm-hmm. of uh, Terminator Dark Fate and the reasonably financially successful Deadpool is the kind of definition I think of a, of a popular person. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's certainly not James Cameron uh-huh. and uh, certainly on the evidence of this not much of a star this isn't really a good film I mean you know when held up against you know the kind of clockwork marvel that is you know the first Terminator film Mm. that movie is leaner than one of Jennifer Aniston's celery shakes, and then you've got Terminator Two, which is you know what that rare example of a real character-driven blockbuster, and you know James Cameron's staging on that film is just it's just out of this world. And but then also it's not a bad film, I guess, when you hold it up against you know the video game cutscene that was Terminator Salvation, or the just absolutely incoherent gibberish that was Terminator Genesis. So. I mean, this film, it's, it's, you know, this is a thoroughly modern, uh, no, modern modern is the wrong word. It's a real, really contemporary blockbuster Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in that it's power driven by CGI spectacle, nostalgia, fan service. I mean, it plays lip service to kind of issues like immigration and in the kind of instance of uh, Mackenzie Davis's cyborg You know, part human, part robot, Mm -hmm. uh, non-binary kind of Uh character. I mean, there's again, but it's all lip service. You know, it doesn't really say anything especially interesting about any of these things. I mean, you know, of course it's great to see Linda Hamilton back, but Terminator 2, that was such an iconic character. You know, this maternal protective primal figure is now reduced to you know like an angry alcoholic that really likes crisps you know that's kind of the, the beats that we're that we're, we're playing with i guess there's some new stuff here but but none of the sort of boundary pushing things mm-hmm. i remember my dad taking me to see terminator 2 i was 10 mm-hmm. sneaking me into odian streatham and you know my jaw was on the floor for you know as i imagine most people's were that summer and and this is just, you know, there are new things. You know, Gabriel Luna's uh, kind of exo-endo-splitting twin Terminator shtick that he's got is, you know, on the face of it, an interesting idea. But, you know, it, we're so kind of numbed by this CGI spectacle. Now it's, it's interesting. Like James Cameron went on the record a couple of days ago. Where he was asked about Ang Lee's Gemini Man and the use of the high frame rate mm-hmm. and whether he'd be using it for the Avatar films. He hadn't seen Ang Lee's film as much as he wanted to. He he saw it more as a, a tool that you could use in certain sequences mm. to help the 3D effects and so on, but not as something that he would, as a medium, that he would paint the entire film with. And I think the same applies when you look back at Terminator 2 and it's, you know, again, boundary pushing, and we're going to talk about The Abyss later, which does the same. It's used in such kind of small moments in parallel to the practical effects, which really make up the most of it, that when they are used and they're used differently and it's new that kind of sense of awe and wonder whereas with this for all of its kind of kineticism and motion and you know it does go back to I guess the founding principles of the Terminator series which is that it's a chase film and it's got some kind of movement to it again it's got none of James Cameron's sense of character or staging or spectacle it's like a totally fine a couple of hours that passes the time but it's uh yeah. Yeah. I think I enjoyed
1: this more than you did. I would not say it's a great film. What this film is, is it's doing what The Force Awakens did to Star Wars for the Terminator mm. franchise. James Cameron is back on board. He's co-producing and one of the six credited screenwriters yeah, on this. Yeah, lunch break, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. He punched something up. <laughs> yeah. Of course, bringing back a lot of fan service, trying to drill down into what people... Maybe it's not what quite worked in the first two films, but maybe what people in their nostalgic memory of those two, first mm. two films want from a Terminator movie. Sure. I have an um, relationship with the Terminator movie whenever someone talks about how the remake of Ghostbusters ruined their childhood I always tell them <laughs> about the Terminator series where I didn't watch any of the sequels from 3 onwards Right, <laughs> 1 and 2, I had them on video when I was a kid and just watched them incessantly and have watched them since and I just didn't bother with any of the other sequels because I knew I wouldn't get anything from them but then they've tempted me back with this. It's a film full of certain highlights for me. Yeah. One being Linda Hamilton. So uh, uh, That performance she gives in Judgment Day is out of this world. And she was then pretty badly served by both James mm-hmm. Cameron and the Hollywood establishment in the years after that. And the fact that she's given an introduction in this film like she is some returning titan. Like she yeah. is Harrison
2: Ford in The Force Awakens. And she's got that mm-hmm. kind of sardonic delivery all Mm -hmm. the way through.
1: And she can pull it off. Compare this with Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone's late career, films like Escape Plan or The Expendables. She can swagger and deliver those one-liners, but then also find that core of the character again,
2: I think. I mean, I enjoyed it enough, but I just, I guess I think it's almost depressing that and I think it says something about the blockbuster landscape that we're in, that's something that, as far as I'm concerned, really is probably about a two-star movie, but in my mind watching it I'm kind of elevated because this is so much better than so much else of the rubbish that was served up on a on a weekly basis
1: that's a, that's a definite caveat to have Steph yeah I think,
3: think definitely this? the with well, the expectation when I saw the trailer I was just like I'm so not up for this like just kind of rehashing old franchises especially at the time where we are getting a lot of reboots and sequels of these kind of big old franchises and it just kind of felt like yeah really not not into it but I think I was quite pleasantly surprised and I think kind of the new characters like Mackenzie Davis and Gabriel Luna's characters I think they worked really well with with the old ones and I think it kind of slotted in quite well it's kind of part nostalgia part new stuff and I think although yeah there is a lot of CGI I think some of it was quite well done and worked Mm -hmm. quite well like I think the um, I mean yeah seeing the first Terminator whenever I saw it is terrifying and I think all that stuff of his kind of skin coming off because he can't, he doesn't regenerate and stuff like that is what makes it quite creepy. And mm. But then with this one where he has this kind of, he can get out of his own skeleton and he's all this kind of weird goo that just kind of comes all back together. And the way the robot kind of stands up again, it's like one of those Boston Dynamic
1: the big dog, big dog robots thing. that
3: absolutely terrify me anyways. I think the <laughs> fear of like robots taking over is like... Put in quite well with this. Um, they, they
1: do try and find, and, and it's actually quite interesting. The solution, a way to do a new Terminator, is to have what if the Robert Patrick Terminator was on top of the body of <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the T, yeah. T- eight hundred? So you have the skeleton of a Terminator with the, yeah. the drippy mm-hmm.
2: liquid. I mean, Terminator on top. I mm-hmm. guess we're going to talk about James Cameron more later when we when mm-hmm. we get onto the abyss. But just thinking about like the love story at the heart of the first film, or mm-hmm. you know the dynamic between Sarah and John in the second. You know, these are not extraneous to the action and Mm. to everything you know they're so beautifully integrated especially the first one i think is a yeah it works like clockwork and this kind of had all of sort of the parts or facsimiles of the parts but none of it really holds together in any kind of semblance of a whole beyond, I guess, just the chase and let's just keep Mm. moving, which was, you know, effective enough,
1: And to to call back to Jeff's email at the head of the episode, this might be one of those films which could go either way. If you've recently watched the first two James Cameron films, it might just pale in comparison, Mm. as you just said, Matt. Or you might find it quite... Intriguing to see how this film is remixing and recalibrating elements from those two films. Mm. You have lines that are sort of echoed through the mm-hmm. scripts, kind of <laughs> cack-handedly at times. You have relationships that are hark to. You have whole sequences that are almost flipped on their head. The famous breaking in to break out of the mental institution in Judgment Day mm-hmm. is here restaged at a border police force detention centre Yeah, the way that Tim Miller has clearly drilled down into the visual language of this franchise to try and see what can be reprised here it may just be
2: Showing a lack of new ideas, but it can be quite interesting. I think that raises a kind of large. And I was thinking this watching Genesis the other week as well. You know, that was directed by Alan Taylor, you know, who did his first movie was Thor, and then he did that after. Mm. And then Tim Miller, who's only got Deadpool and this. Mm. And I do wonder. You know, I would love to read a really honest interview with a director of that kind working at that level where you've got a producer as powerful as James Cameron, you've got a studio that's desperate to resuscitate its franchise, and you've got stars you know, as powerful as the likes of Arnie and, and probably even Linda Hamilton in this case. You know, how much they actually did direct this. Are these set pieces, are these action scenes, are they the ones that are working these things out? I mean... Compared to, for example, pull a name out of the air, someone like, who's a great action director these days, George Miller or, Mm -hmm. you know, Colet Serra, taking this material on that actually has an aesthetic, has a vision, has an identity beyond... You know, James Cameron taking on the Alien franchise. You know, his second film is a completely different beast while still living in the perfect universe Mm -hmm. that we expected from Alien. And yet, it does something wholly different with that. And I just wonder, yeah, how much... Of it is actually directed by these people and what a, a real filmmaker. I think, born, I think the line word.
1: you can draw from Deadpool to this is there is a certain acrobatic kineticism to some of the fight choreography. As much as that is sort of CGI'd to become something like a you know, a computer generated zombie in sort of real people. There is something there, the use of slow mo, the use of impossible camera shots and so on. There are some sequences in this that I thought were quite good for what what makes a 2019 mm. action film. Mm. The first scene where you see Gabriel Luna's Terminator attacking the main characters mm. which is in a... Car Factory, mm-hmm. where they've just been told they're being replaced by machines. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, you know, capital T Trump era uh, yep. script, this isn't it, where, mm-hmm. I mean, it stops quite short of them literally going through a border wall, but they're <laughs> trying to cross the border. I think there's something there with Tim Miller, but he's so new and so young as a filmmaker, we don't get a mm. sense of his overarching vision. It would be interesting, but that's not what these franchises are for now, are they? Steph, um, Arnie, we know from the trailer that he's in this that resound for you as a person who watched and liked the early films is he back
3: I think when he actually appears I was into it Mm -hmm. I think they did that return quite well I think they give him a good kind of explanation as to his situation and where he is in the film yeah I think it works quite well and I was quite pleased with how they did it
1: I don't want to say too much almost no. about the yeah. way that Arnie's used I think the trailer gives us almost too much away and the, his uh, interviews on the promotional tour have as well it's quite surprising also brings with it maybe a little shift of tone we could say mm-hmm. um, it's very droll isn't yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> and what's surprising is that a star the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger seems happy to have ceded the ground
2: mm. to a large extent to, to Linda Hamilton for this to be her film, yeah. it feels mm. like. It's interesting that, I mean, the the kind of, and again, I, I mean, I don't think it goes especially deep on this, but there is definitely a kind of interesting lip service paid to you know, sexual politics in this mm-hmm. in this as well. Linda Hamilton, at one point, I think she says, you know mum and dad are having an argument and there's a moment when Arnie asks Mackenzie Davis can, you know, can I ask what you are and she just shuts him down and says no you may not and there's you know again these kind of it's, it's almost frustrating that well maybe it isn't maybe if it had gone harder into these things it would have
1: it, it feels like peppering the, yeah. the, you can really see how this was a screenplay written by committee you can imagine versions of this film with the younger cast members then you can see that there was the Linda Hamilton pass then you can see that there was the Arnold Schwarzenegger Mm -hmm. pass and that has a cumulative effect where this film does drag in its second half just because you have action sequences where you have so many actors within that action sequence Mm -hmm. where everyone has to have an equal part and that's where you know Matt you mentioned how the the first Terminator is so sleek Mm -hmm. the second film builds but still has that forward momentum which takes you through two and a half nearly two and a half hours Mm. uh, as if the time hasn't passed at all. This film feels as long as it is and maybe that's what for me drags it down a little Mm -hmm. bit. We should move on we've got the abyss to talk about, there's a whole another three hours of James Cameron (laughs) (laughs) sci-fi to talk about but let's put some scores on this Uh, Matt I'll come to you first, in anticipation enjoyment in retrospect.
2: Uh, So anticipation, I mean probably a pretty low, like a one or a two. I mean, the last couple were were really, really bad, and I didn't like Deadpool, and the trailer wasn't especially impressive for this when I saw it a while back. Enjoyment, I mean, three. I had a fun enough time there, and then in retrospect, a two, because it's the more I've thought about it. Yeah. Steph?
3: Uh, I think a one for Anticipation was really not fitting it. Yeah, I think like a three for Enjoyment, and I think like a no, a three in retrospect. Like, I don't think it's a bad movie, but I think it's fine and mm-hmm. I think it's enjoyable enough. That it's okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'll say two, four, three. I'm going to be positive Ooh. on this one. Nice. I th- really enjoyable in the moment. Although I will say that the can you even call it Terminator theme? It's just some. Per- it's a per- <laughs> percussive motif. So it's done yeah. To it's, death. It's, <laughs> it's what's his name, isn't it? It's
2: Junkie Excel has done mm-hmm. Brad Fidel's Brad Fidel, yeah. yeah Fiddle, Terminator theme, and...
1: which is basically a drum line and then a, yeah. a, a, a short synth motif <laughs> that is in this one. Given the Mexican. Re- arrangement that you never knew that you needed or wanted <laughs> yeah i uh i remember quite
2: liking this, the sound actually in this was I mean, uh-huh.
1: yeah but I, I think that 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 uh, if you want to go and see a terminator film what a 2019 terminator film may be this sure. is good it's not it's-, it's not mad max fury road it's not got an overarching vision behind it mm-hmm. but it, it delivers some of those nostalgic thrills and there are things i will remember about this film going forward even if i don't remember much of the film otherwise But that's Terminator, Dark Fate, in cinemas this weekend. Up next, we're off to the Florida Keys with Matthew McConaughey in The Beach Bum. The latest from writer-director Harmony Corrine. The Beach Bum follows the misadventures of Moondog, played by Matthew McConaughey, the so-called most prolific poet of the Florida Keys. Moondog is a rebellious rogue and insatiable stoner who always lives life by his own rules.
3: Thank you for meeting with me today. Man, my pleasure. I don't remember
1: the last time
2: I did one of these.
3: you got an interesting life. How'd you pull it off? How'd you do it?
2: I well, only pull it off how I do it. <laughs> I mean, look, I could tell you that I've been trying to uncover the abyss beneath my illusory connection with the world. I could tell you that it's all written in the stars. I could tell you that I'm a reverse paranoid. I'm quite certain that the world is conspiring to make me happy, all three of which are true, but it's really a little simpler than that.
1: I like that fun name. Matthew McConaughey there in the role he was born to play, some would say. (laughs) Steph, what is the peach bum?
3: (laughs) So it's Matthew McConaughey Uh in Florida. Yep. With Harmony Korine,
1: does he wear a shirt at all in this movie?
3: Oh, oh, I don't know. There's he wears plenty of like dresses. I don't know if he wears a shirt.
1: He's pretty topless. I'd say semi-topless. At all he primes. has that amazing
3: wedding outfit where it's like flames, like a
1: Guy Fieri type. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. very, very good. But yeah, basically, he's kind of an old, washed-up sea dog poet. <laughs> uh, he's and he's trying to write this book so that he can actually get some money, because he has no money. And he's just kind of wandering around with his friend, Snoop Dogg. Yeah. And, yeah, just a very rambling, kind of nice adventure.
1: So this is from Harmony Corinne who has made yeah. some really quite gross movies in his mm. time, grotesque movies, from Gummo onwards, yeah. most recently Spring Breakers, that Day Glow um, spring break mm. movie. And then this seems to be a complete bolt out of the blue for him stylistically, Matt, would you say, or
2: tonally maybe? I I think it it latches on to uh, to Spring Breakers. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. Spring Breakers was a big tonally bolt out of the blue compared to what he'd done before. I mean, God, I just love this film so so much. For the first, I guess, 20 minutes or so, uh, you know, I just don't don't really want to say too much about an event that kind of happens about a third mm-hmm. of the way in mm-hmm. but I thought it was one thing and I thought it was going to remain that there's this just kind of Matthew McConaughey kind of smoking blunts with Snoop Dogg and, and wandering around Florida mm-hmm. but but it really became this investigation into mortality and the price of holding on to what we have and what we had and I just I found it's kind of beautifully rambling and shambolic and just one of the great kind of hangout movies you know Spring Breakers is quite sort of defiantly political Mm -hmm. in in kind of what it has to say about millennials and Mm -hmm. Obama era and so on. You know, what what that film kind of aspired to, Matthew McConaughey's character in this kind of has and doesn't really want. I mean, his wife is like a multi, multi, multi multi-millionaire but none of the money belongs to him and he Mm -hmm. just kind of doesn't really care about I think he's in a line you know, about 10 minutes in where he's like, he comes back to his why was it baby I forgot how rich we were and, uh, you know this. this you know, it's really episodic you know some of it's kind of borderline offensive I guess but you know it's got Martin Lawrence as a shanty <gasps> captain with a cocaine addicted parrot who you know has an <laughs> yes. altercation with a shark and I mean it's just you know while it does kind of skirt with the ridiculous these people all seem to inhabit these characters and inhabit that landscape you <laughs> And it's just so kind of tender and gentle and empathetic mm. and really touching. I was expecting all the way through for the other shoe to drop
1: in some way. Like mm. there would be some turn or some, I don't know. But it just, it just keeps on its merry way. It's very good company, this yeah. film. Yeah. And to the point where I almost had a galaxy brain moment where this film felt like a pastiche spoof comment on the stoner comedy of No Consequence, that mm. the, this was if the Big Lebowski had married Maud. At the end of the film and become rich and could just be a dropout for the rest of his life, or, or almost a commentary on Rodney Dangerfield comedies hmm. where you have this guy just barreling through other people's lives where impervious
2: mm-hmm. to reality. Yeah, and in the same way that Spring Breakers being political and that, that was about, you know, kind of aspiration and we need to get this and we need to get, you know, get that and so on. This is about somebody, you know, the baby boomer generation that's, well, I've got everything now, so yeah. now what the hell do I do with it? And he just kind of tunes in and yeah. drops out, and it's lovely. <laughs>
3: I do think as well the the more films that Harmony has made... I think I've seen, like, maybe four or five of uh-huh. his films, um, and I think the more he makes and the kind of maybe mellower he gets, the better it gets. Like, um. I think you have these gummo-type characters, maybe, but they feel more fleshed out and they feel more empathetic, and you don't feel like you're just watching, like, a freak show. You, you no, actually right? feel like you are getting to know people and, like, you might kind of pass through this life with Moondog and you meet all these crazy characters but, yeah, it feels a lot more kind of empathetic and loving Mm -hmm. and warm and I think it's not just kind of trying to do stuff for the sake of it. It seems mm. like
2: the Korean project as a whole, you know, from yeah. Gumo and you know even the the quite bad like Mr Lonely, Trash Humpers, yeah. all of these and these new ones. about that kind of you know finding your people, finding mm. finding your own crowd. And
1: it's something from that episodic nature, which can almost feel like a variety show at times. You Mr Lonely with its cameos and Spring yeah. Breakers with its breakout moments. Mm-hmm this has that in spades. You can also oh, yeah. have a whole mm. roll call of the cameos in this, Jonah Hill Martin mm. Lawrence. This film has Jimmy Buffett and Snoop Dogg collaborating on a theme tune for the main character <laughs> before yeah. our very eyes. The collaboration <laughs> you can never predict.
2: But it's those little kind of quieter moments. There's a scene with, after his daughter gets, gets married, where he just goes off with his wife Isla Fisher, and they just kind of dance around the jetties and smoke a joint and and kind of sing to each other and it's just this kind of like three or four minute little montage that's just i mean at that point i was like oh this is just bliss we, yeah.
1: it's really bizarre and we should note this snoop dogg is in three films in the next two weeks uh that's either hitting cinemas or hitting streaming platforms he's in beach bum and dolomite is my name on netflix this uh-huh. week and he's in the adams family next week he's having a moment it is a bit like snoop Doggy doctober
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who is he in the Adams Family? He's playing
1: Cousin It, apparently. It's strange that this is where he's landed in his career, that he can turn up and be himself. He reportedly didn't want to play himself in this film, so he plays... Basically, <laughs> his character is <laughs> called lingerie. Who is <laughs> <laughs> just Snoop Dogg. Yeah, basically. What's a bizarre film. Can we talk about Jonah Hill? Oh, the accent. Yeah, of course, he, he made mid-90s accent. early this year. Very much was inspired by early Harmony Corinne in that. So I wonder whether this is just the scratch my yeah. back, I'll scratch yours. He wants to appear in a Harmony Corinne movie with a very bizarre accent as <laughs> Dog's long-suffering agents. Yeah,
2: he's got that kind of Kevin Spacey in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil thing going on. Yeah. yeah.
1: Gosh, are we going to recommend this? Steph, what what scores would you give The Beach Bum? Yes,
3: I was uh, maybe like a four in anticipation. Like I really liked Spring Breakers. I thought it was such a good kind of big screen movie experience. I think just straight fours across the board for this. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I wow. think it's really reflective and... I mean, there's like some unnice things in it, but mm-hmm. I think it's a really kind of mellow and good time movie.
1: Good time, movie. And
3: also Zac Efron with his penini beard, of
1: course, yeah, just
3: atrocious. But there's something about
1: Harmony Corinne that I do find pretty great about him is that he has that almost documentarian's point of view, like so Gummo, literally so, where he's just pulling kids off the street and getting them drunk and filming them. But now he'll, you know, the inspiration for this film is that these are based on people he met when shooting Spring mm-hmm. Breakers down in Florida, or saying that. You wanted Zac Efron to have a beard that looks like a panini sandwich he was eating. <laughs> there are all these elements that just add up to, as, as you called it, the Harmony Cream project, Matt. But what would you give? What score would you give this?
2: So probably four in anticipation. I mean, I'll follow Harmony Cream wherever he goes, for better or for worse. And there's some that I've liked uh, a lot more than others. And then, yeah, I mean, five and five. I mean, this, Spring Breakers. I mean, Harmony Creams is the is the real Florida project.
1: Love it, love the word play. <laughs> and yes, I enjoyed this. I really did. I was confused for most of the runtime, and maybe it's just that I should have given myself over <laughs> earlier. But listeners, if you do watch it, let me know if you have a similar galaxy brain moment to me, and whether this is a spoof or whether it is just a good time. I'd probably give it three, four, four. It's a strong recommendation from the table for The Beach Bum, which is also in cinemas this week, although quite hard to find. I hear maybe yeah. a very limited release, so maybe you'll have to track it down when it's out to rent or stream. Another film that's hard to track down at the moment is our film club choice this week The Abyss. A civilian oil rig crew is recruited to conduct a search and rescue effort when a nuclear submarine mysteriously sinks. One diver, played by Ed Harris, soon finds himself confronting a mysterious force that has the power to change the world or destroy it. Following his smash hit sci-fi sequel, Aliens, James Cameron went big with this long and expensive original. While it didn't set the box office alight back in 1989, it's remembered for its pioneering and Oscar-winning special effects work, and a later special edition director's cut arguably asserts the film's position in Cameron's canon of work but before we dive into our discussion let's hear a clip fluid breathing system we just got them you use it when you go really deep
2: how deep deep how deep
1: it's classified anyway you breathe liquid so you can't get compressed the pressure doesn't get you you mean you got liquid in your lungs oxygenated fluorocarbon emulsion (sighs) check this out uh, can I borrow your rats? What,
2: what are you doing? Hey, 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 no, 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 gonna, no, no,
1: no, no, You're wait. gonna kill her. It's okay. I've done this myself. Oh, man. Look, what are you just drowning her? He's going to be fine. I read this myself. Gonna be fine. No, man. She, she's gonna drown. Look, look. She's freaking out. She's just going through a normal adjustment period. Normal? Does this look normal to you? She's gonna drown. He's taking the fluid into his lungs. He's taking the fluid into his lungs. There he goes. So there's a bit of anxiety here. Now he's starting to relax. He's breathing fine. See his chest moving? Getting plenty of oxygen. I don't think it, it really states it in that clip, but that's a mouse that's being drowned. Just off camera, <laughs> but for real. Apparently, James Cameron said it's a real science there they were testing out where you can breathe oxygenated water. Isn't incredible. Anyway, that's The Abyss. We have some listener comments here. Toby Miller says it's a rare action blockbuster where there's only one moment of gunfire. James Clark says it's possibly James Cameron's finest hour. Dom Holder says it's brilliant and long overdue, a Blu-ray release. I agree. It's really hard to track down. There's a very bad DVD that's available. Yeah. <laughs> it's not available currently it's on any streaming services non-human. either. Or yeah. Yeah. And then Richard Galbraith says the 171 minute extended version is absolutely necessary. Matt's What's your history with The Abyss? You said you were taken along to Stratomodion to
2: see uh, Yeah, 82. I think I was probably a bit young for mm-hmm. this to see it at... Yeah, I definitely didn't see this at the cinema, but it was a video shop staple as soon as it was available. So, I mean, I'm a... You know, I'll go to war for James Cameron any day of the week. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the we'll we invite you back
1: for Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5. Well, three. yeah, I mean,
2: a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. Jenks and Adam were doing a... Uh, gave us the opportunity to write an essay of what we thought was the best blockbuster of the 21st century and the amount of stick they gave me for choosing Avatar (laughs) okay but um, I mean I think the Abyss is is fantastic it's interesting I watched getting ready for this what I hadn't watched for a long time was the theatrical Mm. cut I'd always watch the extended one and uh, it's kind of interesting that comment about the extended one being kind of absolutely necessary because I think that's kind of a yes and a no so the extended one adds this sort of extra half hour or so which is amazing in the whole character building, first couple of acts of the film. You just get more time with all of these amazing. Uh, I mean, nobody kind of sets a scene and sets a a group of characters quite like Cameron does. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. think of many films beyond like this or Aliens where, you know, you know the name of the sort of eighth ranked Sorry. supporting character yeah. and it feels like he has a real, he or she has a real identity. It's, mm-hmm. You know, he's really kind of Hawksian and creating these kind of dangerous environments with people doing you know, mm-hmm. dangerous work and and so on and uh so you get a lot more time there you get a lot more of the the relationship which again like you know talking about the love story in the first terminator i mean basically this is like marriage story as well you know <laughs> on a submarine order you know in a so you get a lot more of that but then the uh the payoff is at the end of the film which is you know like lucas and all these people before him he felt that he wasn't especially happy with the possibility of the effects you get this whole cold war subplot subplot hey, um <laughs> that's um, that's thrown in about uh, you know destroying the end of the world and world war 3 on the horizon and and you know the, the theatrical edition ends with you know i think we're we're far enough out for yeah, for spoilers 30 years 30 <laughs> years so uh, you know ends with just Ed Harris going to see these friendly aliens whereas the extended version becomes this whole they they show him like a montage reel of sort of all the atrocities of you know of humankind and they say well you know we're going to let you go but you know don't do this again and uh, it's all quite silly really (laughs) a little bit
1: this film isn't very well it's had its moments where it's been reappraised. of course Mm. I know that Siskel and Ebert upturned their down votes to to, to thumbs up when it was re-released in the special edition in the early 90s but I think even now, James Cameron was the king <coughs> of the high-concept film where the title is the film, mm-hmm. Aliens, The Terminator, Judgment Day, Titanic. The Abyss...
2: I mean, don't get me wrong, not, I think it's really, really, really great. Oh, that, no, of course.
1: Yeah. But it's not very well known just what it is, which is his attempt to do 2001 and mm. Close Encounters... Underwater, mm. And it's so clearly personal to him as a guy who in the 30 years since has put all of his fortune into advancing deep underwater mm-hmm. technology mm-hmm. and going on many of these exploration missions himself, making documentaries with National Geographic and Discovery and so on. And it's so bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> but it is great. And the, as you say, the, the cast of characters, the technology, it's all there. But it is very long. Steph, which version did you watch? The longer I or the shorter? I watched the
3: long version. Right. It's the only one available to me. So I did that. I don't think I'd seen this film before, which
2: mm-hmm.
3: surprised me because when I was young, my dad would show me basically every submarine movie ever. It absolutely terrified me. Um, and I was quite surprised that I, I'm i pretty sure I hadn't, hadn't watched this before. I think the actual production story behind it is far more interesting than the film itself. I think the whole film is kind of like watching an underwater level in Mario. It's it's so frustrating. The light is so dark, it's so claustrophobic. The speed that everyone moves is so slow, which probably accounts for the long runtime. But I think the general kind of... Just the fact that they built these kind of like 50-foot high water tanks to Mm -hmm. actually be able to film in them like the actual kind of pressure that the cast were under and the crew and just the kind of lengths that they went to to actually make this film and also the fact that James Cameron yeah went into one of the deepest trenches under the ocean after that and mm-hmm. because he just like really wanted to explore deep sea.
1: <laughs> so many of the stories are incredible. I think, depending on who you listen to, every single member of the cast almost
2: died at various mm. points. There's a brilliant making of your, I think it's on YouTube, called oh, Under okay. Pressure, which is your kind of feature length. It's just, I mean, extraordinary just to see the sheer scale of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think what puts Cameron, is, and, and I get that, this kind of slow sort of slower. Pacing, you know, mm. especially compared to stuff today, but that's kind of what I really dig about. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he's one of those rare filmmakers that really takes the time to kind of set up a place and a space, and you know, the geography of you know where one room is, you know, in relation to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, the the central hub where you've got the dive pool, where the big you know fight takes place towards mm-hmm. the end, and and so on, and the big swim that they have to do yeah. as well to get to to get to crazy Michael Bean. Um, I mean, all of this stuff is so brilliantly established at the start that when the payoff comes in the action sequences such as they are, you know, you you really know where one character is at any given time. You know where everything is in relation to everything else. And I think that really just kind of elevates the, the tension and the suspense in it. And, of course, you've got the character drama that's... Bubbling away underneath mm-hmm. that as well. So five course full evening meal of a film, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's so much in there,
1: and it is one that you want, you need to give your entire evening to. There's no looking at Twitter at the same time. There's no, you know, maybe I'll squeeze this in before we'll watch Strictly Come Dancing later or anything. you've got to <laughs> give yourself over to it. And I think there's a lot in there that you get back. But watching it now, all I see is the kid James Cameron who mm. was a. Obsessed with the monsters of the deep, and he makes these futuristic sci-fi films, in Terminator and Aliens. One going into the depths of space, and then he, he went. Once he is able to make this original movie, he goes to the yeah. depths of of the yeah. planet and finds horrors there. I want to go back and re-watch the Meg that Jason Statham made from last (laughs) year because I think they rip a lot (laughs) off from this, all the way down to the ex-wife coming on board or the the estranged wife coming on board and adding a wrinkle to the drama.
3: It's interesting because I think watching this, I feel like there's a lot of more recent movies that feel quite similar. Like It reminded me of Arrival quite mm-hmm. a lot in that kind of do they want to hurt us do they want to help us type thing mm-hmm. i think it's interesting yeah as a kind of influence on other sci-fi movies
2: i mean terminator was you know is the second film this year that james cameron has has produced yeah. that another person has directed and i think that elita battle angel which i really really liked i think pays a lot more i don't want to say homage i mean kind of respect to the the cameron way of doing things in terms of world building and stage setting and so on than Terminator does and maybe that's unfair to Terminator because it's like the sixth film in a series so it doesn't feel that it needs to set so much up compared to Alita which is creating this new mm-hmm. universe and something but that he'd been working on for a long time so yeah. a lot of his DNA was in there but I appreciated the patience of that it's almost kind of disappointing to that the abyss for, for anyone else that hasn't seen it yet is that it's only available on those crappy DVD because mm-hmm. you know I know the Prince Charles shows it quite regularly on 70 mil and seeing mm-hmm. this at the cinema you know versus the Improperly framed DVD mm-hmm. is uh, mm-hmm. a vastly different experience. I,
1: I love watching these movies in Film Club and just seeing, as you sort of alluded to, Steph, it is a start point for other things, but with The Abyss, there- James Cameron is a guy who builds his stable of collaborators and comes back to them time and again. This is a film with very few of those, apart from Michael Bean, who Mm -hmm. had been in Terminator and Aliens before this. But Ed Harris, they never worked Mm -hmm. again. Ed Harris, for many years, said he would never talk about his experiences on The Abyss. Mm He apparently punched (laughs) James Cameron on (laughs) set. But then Mary Elizabeth uh, Mastrantonio, who, growing up, I only knew from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves... Yeah. and she has this clutch of four or five roles in the 80s mm-hmm. and 90s Scarface Scarface yeah. and then what happened to her?
2: Can't tell you mm-hmm. off yeah, the top exactly. of my head I, thought yeah. she, I,
1: I think she's fantastic in this as the yeah. person who's introduced as the bitch from hell or whatever hmm. the line is but then all the way to her death and revival scene which I think is a, an incredible Dramatic scene that.
2: Maybe it says something about you know Ed Harris really because mm-hmm. you know Sigourney Weaver's a trooper keeps coming back, doesn't she? And <laughs> although Kate Winslet didn't she say she'd never work with him again after uh, Titanic and she's yeah. back for some Avataring. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, they all come another one to... underwater, isn't it? A big another his big next underwater spectacle. Oh,
3: hey, everyone get their wetsuits out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh. But where would you put this in the the Jim Cameron canon, Matt? I'll come to you
2: first. Probably. Under the Terminators and Avatar and Titanic. I mean, about five-ish. Above True Lies,
1: below those. It does set him off on this path of films that are north of two hours long and they just get more expensive (laughs) every
2: time. I mean, yeah, I think all of those are kind of later films and he's got a lot more at his disposal. And Mm -hmm. all of his films afterwards, he seemed to take about a decade putting together. And, you know, this was pretty quick after Aliens. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Aliens, of course, above. Yeah.
1: Steph, do you agree? Um,
3: I think this would probably be the lowest. I haven't actually seen Avatar. Really, like, I have to write that when the next five come out, or whatever. Mm. But um, yeah, just it didn't really work for me. I think the I think I liked it when he had less money, and I had to kind of work around that. And I just think it's. Yeah, maybe if I'd seen the theatrical cut and it was Mm -hmm. a bit shorter and kind of trimmed down I might have enjoyed it more. Yeah, interesting production but I don't think it really pulls it off.
1: It is incredible looking at the budgets of his first four features and how it just increases exponentially but I think Aliens was something like 15 20 million this was mm-hmm. more like 60 million 70 million then double that almost for, for <laughs> Terminator a couple of years after and beyond all the way up to Avatar at, the, at that time the most expensive film ever I mean, made really seems mm-hmm. to
2: let the technology drive the storytelling and mm-hmm. you know not telling another story until you know the technology is is there to do so and he's the biggest gambler in you know I think every I remember going to opening weekend of Titanic and you know the expectation on everyone at the time was that this was going to destroy 20th century fox you know that was it and then you know the same again with with avatar and now this you know billion dollar four film gamble that he's about to go on now again you know shooting 3d motion capture underwater <laughs> i mean it's just just crazy and mm-hmm. i guess the the best rule in in hollywood is that you just never bet against james cameron but you'll be there for the Avatar sequels. Absolutely. I mean, it's you know, it's whatever. I think whatever you, uh, whatever you think of the previous ones' uh, history so far has been on his side at least. Oh.
1: I never had much of a relationship with The Abyss growing up I was always the two Terminators and Aliens and this is the missing link between those films if, if you mm-hmm. like that James Cameron vibe that he builds up in those films The Abyss gives you more of that in spades mm-hmm. I don't think that it's one that I'll be returning to every week whereas I think Aliens and Terminator 2 and The First Terminator are so rewatchable yeah. this one is a, a bit more meaty than those but I'd love the opportunity to see this in the cinema and hopefully one day I'll get that chance James, if you can hear us, spend some of that of <laughs> and have a time on getting The Abyss uh, a new re-release, please But that was The Abyss, rounding off our reviews this week Before we sign off, any other business, Steph? Or Matt, anything to talk about? Anything to plug? Uh,
3: yeah, so I work with the Bechdel Test Fest oh. and we put on female-led films around London and we've got a screening on the 4th of November of Whip It, Drew Barrymore's directorial debut Brilliant. And it's 10 years old this year, so we're doing a special kind of 10th anniversary screening. Uh, So if you want to come along to that, there's still a few tickets left.
1: Terrific. And Matt, you teased that because of Terminator Dark Fate, you're going to revisit an old article, right? Well, we
2: did, uh, me and Adam Woodward uh, a few years ago now, we, uh, we split the entire Arnie filmography and wrote them all up and ranked them and so on. So right. that needs a little bit of updating in the light of this new one. So right. hopefully that should be up in the next couple of days. Do you remember what was up top? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. <laughs> is it I Twins? I, was, I, can't, and I can't actually remember. <laughs> this is terrible. And I can't actually remember whether we ranked by performance or by film. I think it was by film. Ooh. And I think T2 is probably the one. I think but Escape but Plan is one of his best
1: performances. The bit where yeah? he has to rant and rave in German. It's terrific. <laughs> I hope that's high up in the list. <laughs> I'm sorry. Checking them in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you both for joining <laughs> me this week. Next week, we have Doctor Sleep, the sort of sequel to The Shining by Mike Flanagan. We have Sorry We Missed You, the latest Ken Loach movie. And because we're doing belated horror movie sequels, Film Club next week is Psycho 2 from 1983. Nice, great movie. Really interesting film to talk about. Let us know if you have any comments on those films or the films we talked about this week at the usual channels. That's at Truth and Movies on Twitter and Movies at tcolondon.com via email or at the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcast. Steph, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having This us. week. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production.